It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is David Mansella, CEO of ISU Corp. ISU is a custom software solutions company with clients ranging from startups to multi-million dollar conglomerates like General Electric and Heinz. Located in Canada's Silicon Valley, ISU increases entrepreneurs' net profits with exceptional custom software solutions. Most recently, ISU has been chosen as a recipient of the Canadian Business Excellence Award for the sixth year in a row as a recognition of their outstanding company culture and effective processes. David is passionate about inspiring others and a priority in his life is sharing his experience in hopes of encouraging a new generation of entrepreneurs to reach their full potential. David is the host of the Break Free podcast where he invites a diverse set of guests to bring audiences valuable knowledge and living life on their own terms, whether it's professionally or personally. David is also a number one international best-selling author of his book, Breaking Out of Corporate Jail. David Mencilla, welcome to the Corner Office. Hey, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Ah, great to have you here again. And we spoke a, a few weeks back. Uh, I'm assuming you're still up in beautiful uh, Canada today, or are you in a different part of the country now that we're into the summer months? I'm, no, I'm riding right, right at home in Canada. <laughs> nice. Boy, yeah, and all those fires that you folks have been having. I hope that you and your property hasn't been threatened, or is that quite a, quite a bit away from where you're currently living? It's, 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 yeah, it's about 800 miles away, but you yeah. know, it, the, the smoke came here. Oh. And it was horrible for about a week. The air quality yeah. was very bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's hope those get pulled out soon. But uh, anyway, we always like to kind of start off our, con, uh, our, our, our podcast and understand a little bit about the background of our guests. And let's start with your early years. Tell us uh, where you grew up and, you know, what your early family life was like. Yeah, early years. Well, I was uh, born and raised in Guatemala City, Guatemala. Uh, if people don't know right. what that is, Beautiful it's country. south of Mexico, the next country in the American continent after Mexico. Um, right. Humble beginnings for sure. In my my mom passed away when I was two and a half years old, so oh, parents, so young, so they could actually take care of me. So that was uh, something. That impacted my life dramatically until, until yeah. it's crazy. Until recently, I I have to you know I have to admit that it was something that it took a while for me to get over it. Um, but hey, now you can imagine. Did you have older brothers and sisters, uh, David? Yeah, we were six siblings. 
six, six siblings, five uh, remaining. One of my oldest brother uh, was killed in the civil war. The country had a civil war for 36 mm. years and he was killed there in the eighties. Um, when my mom passed away, my younger sister was six months old and I was two and a half years old. So my other wow. Uh, wow. brothers and sisters were 10 years, 12 years and 14 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, did they kind of all step in and then became a, a stronger family unit in that regard? I, I imagine, uh, probably the eldest, a lot of responsibility fell on him or her. Yeah, it was for sure a traumatic event. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't know how my dad lived his life so positively. He passed away seven years ago mm. at the age of 82. And I have never met a more positive man than he is. And it has a lot to do with, with his faith in, in, in Christ. You know, he was always, uh, yeah. you know, hand to hand with the Lord, uh, even though he had his times of doubt, like everybody, everybody does. But imagine his life, right? He lost, loses his wife uh, in, you know, in 1976. And then his son dies in 1982. Actually, 1974. 1974 is when my mom died. Yeah. Incredible, eh? What kind of work did your father do? He was an entrepreneur. He had uh, multiple businesses before he mm -hmm. passed away. He had, you know, at some point he had a, a logistics company. He owned several uh, transport trucks uh, doing cold, cold storage transport at, throughout Central America. Uh, he was also in energy. Uh, he had a factory that developed uh, uh, batteries for cars. Um, oh my God, many, many businesses. Uh, his, huh. You know, at the end of the at the end of the of, of his life, he was the CEO of a of a factory with over three hundred employees, and they did a injected wow. mold plastic um, uh, plastic containers. You know, for you know right. for shampoos and and stuff like that. Consumer, yeah, consumer products. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Did uh, some of your older siblings uh, also work to help support the family in those early no, years? No, no. My wife was always also fishing in that case, in that regard. Some yeah. years were very hard, for sure. I remember, you know, back back home, if you don't go for private school, the public schooling system is horrible. So I remember sometimes mm. uh, he will actually, he couldn't pay for up to, you know, four or five months the, the tuition, but then he will come in and he'll pay the entire year because a good business had closed and he had money. You know, so, right, I, you know, right. regarding this interview, I think it's beautiful because I was living the life of my dad as an entrepreneur and that impacted my life unconsciously, you know? Yeah, I sounds think like that. Yeah. If you look at my yeah. siblings, all of us are entrepreneurs. Everybody's working. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, it sounds like your dad had a huge influence on you. What are some of the things that you remember other than him just being a great person, obviously a good Christian, uh, but what are some of the things or sayings or impressions that he made on you when you were young, if you can recall? I think his positive attitude. He really mm. taught me how I decide how I'm going to feel today and that the right. life is, is being played one day at a time. And regardless of what goes on in your life, you can choose to still stay positive, regardless how hard it seems to be. He also yeah. told me the act of grieving. You know, he said, you know, you have to take your time to grieve, but don't allow grieving take over your whole life because then you'll be a zombie, yeah. right? You'll be a dead man walking, right? Right. right. Or if you don't grieve and you keep it inside, it can really come out in other ways that aren't particularly attractive. Well, that's even worse. That's even worse. People actually yeah. get cancer from that. Right. Right? That's right. 
That's right. Suppress emotions. Yeah. Any other influences? Any other influencers in your life? Were, were your grandparents well, uh, involved in your upbringing and uncles and my aunts? My grandfather. So my name comes after my grandfather, and uh, he raised me from I was uh, from I was two and a half years old until I was ten. When I was ten, I went back to my father because he could actually take care of me then because I was older. But my my right. grandpa, oh my god, he was one of the best role models I ever had in my life. Um, mm. You know why was that? Those people that I just are correct that I have never, I never heard him say a bad word. For example, a, a, hmm. a true definition of a gentleman. You know, also you know, a, a man for Christ. His heart was in the Lord, but he was ten times more disciplined than my dad in that way. You know, my dad was a believer. <laughs> this was, was your dad's. Was this your dad's dad or your mother's uh, dad? That was my my dad's dad. That's dead, right? No. So, you know, this man was this man was exceptional. You know, I still remember him. I said, mm. "How can somebody live like that so many years and be so integral?" Like these people that you know, they are human, but they are living a life of constant sanctification. Like every day for him was a day that he could be better for the Lord and for his family. Wow! You know, and Love I wish it. I could live up to that standard, but it's, it's almost impossible. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've had you've had some great role models. So, so you went to private school. Um, were you a good student? No, I was a horrible student. <laughs> horrible student. In fact, if I wasn't for my my grandfather, I I wouldn't know how to read and write still. Um, when I when I was in grade one, I was supposed to learn how to read and write. It took me twice, three times as much as the normal kids. I almost couldn't make it mm. to grade two. Uh, it, it was hard. My my poor grandpa had to come back after work at 7, 8 p.m. and be with me until midnight teaching me how to read. It was the hardest thing. So he was your tutor as well as your mentor. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> he had so much patience. And then when I moved uh, back yeah. with my dad, I, you know, I was doing so bad at school. Oh, my God, so bad. I was losing all, like, in grade four, I think I lost, out of seven, I lost six subjects. So I was in summer school <laughs> recovering. Grade wow. five, the same thing, all to the point that my dad, the the principal of the school, told my dad, "If if I don't change, they'll have to, you know, kick me out." Uh, Were you just distracted, like involved in sports and other activities? Did you not find school interesting? But, right. Um, yeah. And I yeah. was a super hyperactive kid. Little did I know that I was prescribed with ADHD last year. You see. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> but you yeah. know, back then in yeah. the 80s, they didn't know this this disease. Of course, existed, right? no, 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 of course not. Did you do some entrepreneurial things? Did that kind of kick in early oh, in yes. life? Um, yeah. You know, growing up in Guatemala, what, what types of entrepreneurial things were you doing? You, you know, before I answer that question, I, I must say for the audience, if, if you have kids that were, are like me, you know what my dad did to change my behavior? He never spanked me. He never gave me a curfew. Mm. You know what he did? He started spending more time with me. He brought yeah. a mother plane, a mother airplane to my house. The day that I almost lose the year, he brings this mother plane and he says, okay, we're going to build this plane together. And he taught me how to build the planes mm. and we got the engine going. And then we went and flew the plane on the weekends. And then he told me for every class that you pass, I'm going to give you a new plane and we're going to build it together. He just poured, he poured more into you. The next year, sixth grade, I was in the honor roll. I was the best student in my class. Wow. You see? Wow. Without concerta or, or ever. Great, great advice. Just with love and attention. Right. Right. I love it. 
<laughs> so, so tell us about some of the entrepreneurial things you did. Yeah, so I, you know, because of the model airplanes, and then my my sister was her husband was an airplane pilot, so I would go on the plane with him all the time on the weekends. I decided to become an airplane pilot myself. So, uh-huh. but my, I, I asked my dad, "Hey, I, I want to be an airplane pilot," and he says, "Where are you going to get the money to get the classes from? You know, fifty thousand dollars of training." So he said, "The only way is through the military." So I went to the military, and I did two years of military school to become an official in the in the in the Air Force. And what, what age were you at that time? Oh, I was a little kid. I was, what, 14, 15 years yeah. old? Yeah, wow. Um, but the, remember, the country was at war, right? So it was a five-year career, and then you become a, a lieutenant, and then you go to the mountains and fight. Wow. Uh, so they were kick, kicking people out pretty fast, right? Um, during military school, I realized that a lot of the kids... By the way, this is like... This is like trying to get into the school is not easy, right? Like a thousand, a thousand kids apply every year and two hundred get in. Right? Wow! So it's it's not, it's not like oh I'm gonna go to military school. No, because this is the official training. Like this is the career path that will get you into becoming a leader in the military, right? Not just a boot soldier. Um, so, uh, so it's a professional career. <laughs> so when I was like, I don't know how I got accepted. For the grace of God, I got accepted, and I, you know, I. A big part of my success was because of the training that I got there. Uh, the the emotional pain, the emotional trauma, the physical discipline, the and also the 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 values that the, the academy gave me, they are still holding high in my life today. Hmm. What were some of those values? Um, well, nothing gets half done. Everything gets completely done, and it yeah. gets done on time. Just with that, I can be a successful business person, mm. right? There is, I am not responsible for anybody else's decisions, but I am fully responsible for my decisions, and I can inspire others to follow me by looking at my example. I cannot demand of anybody else what I cannot do myself. Think about that. I love it. I love right? it. You earn your you earn the right of respect by showing that you can be as respectful as you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. With Golden rule, actions. isn't it, huh? Golden rule. Yeah. So yeah. you went on to university. I, I believe you did that in Guatemala, right? Before coming to Canada. Yeah, I my computer science degree is from Guatemala, and then I had another one here in Canada. Right. But you know, the first entrepreneurial thing that I did is I noticed that all these kids in the military school wanted to have the boots that the officials wore. The officials were our teachers, right? Like so the everyone were captains and they, you know, they were senior people in the military and they were teaching us and they had these amazing boots. So through my connections with my friends, one of my buddies, his his dad was a colonel in the army. So we had access to the official. <laughs> store where they bought those boots so we will go get the boots and we will sell them for double the price to the kids nice nice <laughs> so that was my first uh, business <laughs> i love it i love it and yeah. did that help uh, uh i mean is public education uh, university education also private um in guatemala was that yeah. was there a high tuition changes, fee? right so yeah. public education in guatemala at the university level is one of the best that i've seen even compared mm. to to first world countries, especially the public uh, university is so, so good. Most of the best doctors and engineers come out of the public university. Right. Huh. Um, but private universities are very good too. So it's crazy because, you know, the lower end, like the, 
the high school education and below is not as good in a public system. The private schools are pretty good. But then once you go into your university level, it's very good and very little people get the chance to go. Right. Um, so I went to computer science because they decided to 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 close the uh, the airplane academy after two years in military in my, in my mm. military education because they had too many people and very little planes. So and I didn't want to be in you know in the infantry or or you know or or in the navy. So I actually left, and I I decided to to follow computer science. You know how or why? No, I was going to be my next question. <laughs> so you tell us in the how. 80s, they wanted to, they, you had to pass this typewriting exam. Remember the typewriters? Oh, I yeah. People know what that is anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I learned to type. <laughs> so I needed to pass a typewriting exam, but if you made one one mistake, you have to start the whole page over again. Mm -hmm. And I was so frustrated. And and uh, we were having you know a, a celebration in my house, and my uncle came, and my uncle was the CIO for 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 one of the largest banks in Guatemala back in the 80s. So he had the whole IT department under, under his command. Mm. And he told me, you know what? I'll show you how I do it at the office. So I went, and that was the first time I saw a computer in my life. Ah. He took me to the uh, to the computer lab in the at the bank, and he showed me my first text editor. And he's like, OK, see, I press here. If I make a mistake, I click back here, and tick, 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 tick. <laughs> And then I hit this button, and off the page prints. Wow. And I'm like, how do you do that? I want to learn. Right, right. <laughs> so I, I fell in love with automation uh, from my uncle's uh, influence. Um, so from there, I actually left the computer, the, the military academy, and I went right into computer science. Years. So basically, you do your four years. You almost like do a master's afterward, but it's obligatory. Right. right. Um, so after five years, I graduated. I was very, very young, very early. Um, um, and then I moved to Canada. Yeah. So, so, so let, let's back up. I, I want to get that transition. So this is why I landed in Canada. My brother got married. My oldest brother, the, the surviving oldest brother got married. And he went on his honeymoon to Cancun, Mexico. Ah. He met in that trip. Um, he met a couple from Canada. Uh, for the whole week, and they convinced him that this was a beautiful country and he should come do his postgraduate yeah. degree here. So my brother came as a student uh, to do his business degree here in Waterloo. That's why I'm actually in this university town still. Wow. So he came, and then I graduated computer science, and then he told me, um, he's also an entrepreneur, right? Um, so he, on the last year of university here in Canada, he started his own business, and he was going very well like he started growing really fast and he, he couldn't handle it with all the manual paperwork and he knew i knew how to write systems so back then i already wrote a, a systems to uh, to do payroll automation in a in a 300 person company and where i reduced the the payroll from one week of manual processing to five hours wow uh, writing you know writing a program in a microcomputer so he knew this so he came back home and he said, I'll give you a job if you move with me. And so I came, <laughs> I came to Canada to, to write his invoicing system. Um, but then I realized I couldn't get any other job, eh? Uh, because back in, <laughs> back in 1991, when I came, if you were any type of engineer from any other country and you were in Canada, you will never get a job with a, with a title from another country. So I had two choices, right? I could I could resign and do 
you know, odd jobs. Or yeah, manual labor. Yeah, right. again. yeah. And you know what my grandfather did? Do you remember my grandfather? Mm -hmm. He said, time will always go by. And another three, four years is not going to make a big difference in your life. You're still young. Go back to school, get your degree and continue your career. So mm. that's what I did. Sage advice. Sage advice. So you went another three years then or four years? I did another three years here. Went three years here. Wow. Yeah. And then just got the same degree again. <laughs> same. Yeah. Yeah. Same again, uh, more than full time. So when I went, I was already, already had, you know, when I went back to school, I already had two kids, uh, my wife which came she came with me she's from guatemala okay mm -hmm. she's from guatemala so we came with a baby my baby daughter uh, my oldest daughter and then two years later we had my second kid and then i went to university so i needed to get out as fast as possible so we <laughs> night program summer like i did it so fast <laughs> so were you working for your brother during that period of time yeah, you going to that school? Was the yeah. blessing because i was working yeah. for my brother he gave me flex hours so I, I could take as many courses as possible right nice what was the first job that you took coming out of uh, college in Canada? I didn't. I opened my own business. Ah, so that's when ISU got founded, is it? No, no, no. It was another company. And again, another na naive move, right? Uh, the government of Canada had a, an entrepreneurial program back then, because this, we're talking 1994, 1995. Right. The internet was about to explode, and the government of Canada knew that. So he was given this one-year intensive MBA-like programs for mm. anybody that was in technology that wanted to become an entrepreneur. So I took that. So I, I graduated university, and then I went into that government program paid by the government. And the thing was that if you passed that program, you like if you actually was able to, you were able to graduate from the program, the government will give you a, a loan from a mm. private bank backed by the government. So if you went out of business, the government will pay for that loan. Nice. So I finished the program, got the money, started my own business thinking that I was going to become a software consultant because I already had two degrees and I did this invoicing system for my brother. Little did I know that every door that I knocked, they, they tore me down because they saw me as a junior developer. So nobody wanted to trust me their businesses <laughs> with, mm. to me. So I ended up selling computers because I needed to make some meets, right? So. Right. To make the long story short, it was a horrible moment in my life. I learned a ton. I stayed two years in that business. Uh, basically, my wife was sustaining the family. She was, you know, <laughs> it was crazy. She, you know, she was having a full-time job, had, taking care of the two kids while I was losing money every month in the business. <laughs> basically, I lost money every month. <laughs> but I actually happened to get a lot of clients. So by the end of the second year, I was just praying to God, God, please get me out of this. It was a horrible, horrible experience, uh, mm. especially with the, with the finances uh, and not being able to provide for my family. I was feeling, you know, I don't know. I was feeling really very, very bad. Were you so, able to connect with your faith there in Canada? Did you have a church that you found? And Yeah, or was that your... was a blessing. Um, yeah. My grandmother actually got us into a... Uh, into a church here with, with my wife. They started looking for churches and thank God we found a beautiful church, uh, Guadalupe de Costal Assembly. We still go to that church actually. And oh. um, filled, with, filled with the Holy Spirit for sure. So beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, so you know what happened to that business? I thought, okay, this is it. I cannot do this anymore. So either I'll, I'll declare myself bankrupt, but I didn't want to do that, right? Uh, or I don't know what to do. So I started praying. And my wife started praying. The whole family started praying. 
for God to deliver us. Um, because I didn't only have the, 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 the debt from the bank, I also maxed out all my credit cards, right? So I was, I was just, I was getting surrounded by that. But you know, as one of the summers that I had the business, I, I got a co-op student. This mm. kid was so interested in, in learning how to build computers and put operating systems and all that. And so I told him, I cannot pay you, but you can come work for me at the summer if you want. Uh, for free, right? <laughs> so he so he did the whole like you know three four months, and he was so happy. He comes in October mm. with his dad. I remember he enters my business, my office. He enters and he says, "This is my dad, and we want to buy your business." <laughs> and his dad comes out and he says, "How much do you want for your business?" And I had the number in my head. The number was the amount of money that I owed everybody. So I gave him the number, and he was so surprised, and he told me, "Are you sure?" I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. Are you absolutely sure? I'm like, I'm right, sure. Right. I was thinking he wanted to give me less, right? So, yeah. and then he says, I'm going to give right. this check. Right. Well, that's, God gives us everything we need, right? And when I'm we need so it. Thankful. <laughs> so thankful. So basically, I, I broke even. I sold the business for the amount of debt that I had. And then I had to go get a real job. Mm. But little did I know, years later, I had over a thousand clients on my database. So even though I was losing money, the company had brand value. I could have sold that business for time for four times yeah. as much money as they gave me. Yeah. But I didn't know. That's why he was so surprised asking me that nice. was all the money that I wanted from the business, you see. But I didn't know anything about business back then. So it was a blessing. <laughs> so when did ISU come along? Yeah, for sure. It was such a you know, and the, the amount of gratitude that you that you feel after you get delivered from something like that. Oh, you know, looking for a job for me. And after getting my job, my first job, oh, I just was so thankful that I was doing two times as much as everybody else. You know, and that's what got launched my career. Because right. right. I, I, from, you know, they hired me as an intermediate developer because they validated the, the two years of business that I had. Plus now they validated all the schooling that I did. Uh, in two years, I was managing teams already. You know, by four years, I was, you know, I was at the director level, uh, moving from jobs to jobs, right? So I grew in the corporate ladder really, really fast. Uh, and you had three three children at that time? Yeah, two, two or three children? Three children at that time. My wife was pregnant while I was looking for a job uh, with our third kid. And so we were praying hard to get that job. I had to send 300 resumes because now we're talking 1998 still. Being a developer wasn't that you know that popular back then in Canada, uh, but I got I got the job, and the the job was just enough for us to to be beautiful and happy. But my wife had this, you know, this thing in her heart. She wanted to buy her own house, right? And I want my own house, and but we don't we don't have the down payment or the money or anything. Uh, you know, I always wanted to become a software consultant. Three months into my in, into my full time job, somebody calls my business phone line. Uh, which I still had because it was routed to my personal phone. And he said, uh, do you, I, I hear that you write software systems for, for point of sale systems. I'm like, I, yes, I do. And then I went to see the guy and then to make the long story short, he hired me to write a point of sale system for a large, large, large warehouse and, and, and retail store. Uh, but I had to go, you know, ask my boss, like, you know, can I do this? And he said, yeah, we just got to change the contract because it has it has no conflict with your full-time job as long as you do it after work. 
So to make the long story short, the Lord provided the same income that I was doing during the day at night, and that allowed me to get my first house. Three, well, I started that, I started that uh, contract a month after my baby daughter was born. <laughs> wow, wow, fantastic. Yeah. Well, just the perfect timing. Huh? And so look at the miracles, right? So this is what I want people to understand. You can do anything and everything, and you can work day and night. And if he knows the Lord's will to prosper you, you will not prosper. Amen. Because everything that I've seen in my life, everything that I have has been done in such a way that I can only give the Lord all the glory. Of course, I did my effort. Of course, I was there, right? But at the same time, when you see these things happen, you know how I got the down payment for my first house, by the way? My wife was doing the taxes during those years that I had my business, and she, she was missing a lot of things that you could deduct. So I went back to a professional uh, accountant just to make sure the taxes were right. And they right. found enough money in tax credits to get the down payment for my first house. Nice. And I didn't nice. know. <laughs> so tell me how, how, how was that my doing? <laughs> no, man. It was given to me. <laughs> so I, ISU was born, and that's about, what, 27, 28 years ago? When did that first uh, spawn? Oh, so... I mean, I started consulting part-time while I was having my full-time jobs. Uh, it wasn't right. called ISU yet, but it, yeah, yeah it, was my own, it was my own consulting gig. ISU was formed in 2005 when I I made a leap of faith. I, I left this, you know, the the six-figure salary. I left the corner office and all the reputation huh. and, uh, and the vacations and the bonuses. And I said, okay, it's time for me to try again, right? Full-time. So... My wife gave me a five-year ultimatum. She said, if you within five years, <laughs> you don't retire me, you go you go back to get a job. Because this is now the second time she's sustained in the family, you see? Right, <laughs> right. And I retire her in five years. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. And today, tell us about ISU. What, what do you do and how many employees and you know what's the, the breadth of your business? Yeah, so I've been blessed. I, I, I run multiple businesses now. Last time I counted were seven or eight businesses. Mm. Um, I do collaboration with other entrepreneurs. That's how I actually get to have so many businesses. Uh, but my main my main business is ISU Corp. Uh, we are about 60 people, all software, BAs, um, you know, and then the supporting staff, marketing, sales, and administration. It's a beautiful, it's, it's such a beautiful way of living. Uh, because I actually don't have, I don't run the businesses anymore. Mm. I have been able to get enough knowledge to run self-managing companies, right? Yeah, yeah. So, how would you say your leadership styles evolved over time, David? Ooh, dramatically, dramatically. Um, yeah. I thought I was a good leader, but I wasn't. I was, I was treating my business like like I was treated in the military school, mm. and uh, that's good up to a point, but. You can understand that your employees are not soldiers. Your employees are people, and people have dignities, and they have families. And I, I learned that the hard way. I almost went bankrupt because of the way I was treating my people. So when I opened up my eyes and realized that that uh, I wasn't a good leader, I took a year off in 2013, and I took a leadership course, a postgraduate huh? degree in leadership, specifically for computer scientists that wanted to become good leaders. <laughs> right. And what were some of the things you learned there? 
Oh, everything. Culture. Culture, the Lord used a change in culture to change my life and, yeah. and to and to make me the, the multimillionaire that I am right now. After mm. I finished the course in 2013, number one, my faith came back. Because when we're talking about all these years, faith goes in and out, right? You come out right. and you go into a desert and you know you think you're by yourself and then the Lord rescues you and you believe in God again. And this is this, this, you know, this life is full of it's full of up and downs, right? Yeah. But I got my faith back in, in at the end of 2013 and and I started treating people as people and I gave them as much freedom as I could. And I yeah. set three values and only three values, and that changed my whole culture. I gave them, I told them we're here just first we're here in gratitude because we have a job. Then we're here to grow because if we don't grow, we die. And then we're here to give back, right? Mm. So if we don't be give back as a corporation, then we're doing we're not doing something right. Yeah. And three yeah. values everybody remembered. Everybody know, knew that we needed to be grateful. And still today, before we do any meetings, they we say, everybody, each one in the meeting says, what are you grateful for today? And that changes the whole attitude of the meeting. Yeah. So we live yeah. our values. Beautiful. And you know, that's what culture is. Culture is the instilled values in the employee that allows them to make the decisions when the boss is not watching. That's right. That's right. Yeah. How do, you, how do you hire good people? What do you you know? What do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in? Attitude, right? Mm. Uh, of course, we look for the technical skills, but uh, being hired by us is very hard. Uh, you know, my my pipeline for people that want to work for us is longer than my pipeline for for the people that that we sell you know our, our services to, and it's just mm. because if you have a you know if you have a a basket of beautiful strawberries. If you put a rotten strawberry in the middle, those other strawberries will go rotten really fast. So we yep. really, really, really make sure that we don't have rotten tomatoes <laughs> in our fridge. Yeah. You know? yeah. um, so it's hard. Uh, we still make mistakes, but the people that get in, they become part of the family. And that's another thing that I told them. We are a family, even though I have people, even though we're only 60 people, we have people in nine countries and, and, uh, we are connected by technology, but we, we are family. We do stuff for each other above and beyond the business hours and above and beyond our work workload, right? You know, culture is such a hard thing to interview for. Um, as you know, I work in recruiting and I always try to get very deep with my clients. And sometimes, you know, they don't understand their own culture. And that, and that's a big inhibitor in their ability to be able to hire good people. How, in, in an interview situation, David, how do you get at that? What kind of questions do you ask? What, you know, how do you kind of get underneath that veneer of a, of a standard type of an interview to really find out if this is the kind of person you want to hire? Yeah, you know, I haven't done hiring for about seven years now. <laughs> the yeah, HR department yeah. does that. But the right. Mondays when they were trainees, we ask questions, family questions, right? Uh, so when you we ask the family questions, uh, they really show up who they are, right? Do they respect their parents? Do they honor their parents? Mm -hmm. If they have family, do they respect their wife or their husband? What is the situation? Was the was the pro, even if they might not be people of faith because of course we, we might have people that are, don't don't share our Christian faith, but these those values are important. What's yeah. the order in life? Right? Is your job first or is your kids and family first? Who like so we ask questions around day to day living that really def, you you can detect really well 
I mean, they can yeah. still hide it and they can still, you know, lie about that, but it's hard. And most people don't, don't, don't get these questions in normal job interviews, so they, they get surprised, so they tell the truth most of the time. One of my CEO's um, clients and also a podcast guest says that one of the things he really enjoys doing is taking a top candidate out for lunch and see how they treat the wait staff. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, you know, do they do they treat them with deference? Do they treat them as equals. Are they polite? Are they kind? Are they demanding? You know, are they rude? Do they have, you know, a different uh, type of, uh, you know, cast approach? And he says it's incredibly revealing. And he's, you know, do a lot of other things, too, to get at those qualifications and so forth. But in his culture, treating people, regardless of where they are in the organization, as equals is an extremely important part of what their culture is all about. And, uh, you know, he's uh, hired a couple of very good, fired a couple of very good prospects, uh, or not hired, rather, a couple of very good prospects after the lunch interview just for that it's yeah because you're in a social environment right it's yeah. uh, it's it's incredible um, but that's what you look for i can always teach technology to people i mean our technical tests are, are very serious right. and they're very hard and we have three tests that they have to go through but the attitude interviews i think we do two or three too and it's just, they just keep getting harder on social environments right yeah yeah and you know and then you have your then you have your three months probation anyway. We're, we're really <laughs> that's right. That's right. That stuff comes out. Yeah. Because if you think about it, like, all my people have the blessing to be completely independent. That's part yeah. of my culture. If I'm going to hire you because I know you can do this job better than I can, and you're responsible enough to deliver on time and respectful enough to help others. Right? Yeah. No, so beautiful. another thing that we look for is how good of team, of team players they are. Because I have had the mistake of hiring the best technologists and they are and they are just for themselves and by themselves, and they are arrogant. And yeah, they perform great, but it's a roadblock in the whole company. So I rather, right. I rather let them go and and get the rock stars that are also team players. Yeah, yeah, very important. Well, David, you've been very generous with your time, but we're just about out of it. But we always ask one last question of all our guests, and. That's kind of what career and life advice would you give to someone who maybe has their eyes on their own corner office someday or an entrepreneur like yourself that plans to, you know, start and run several businesses? What would you tell them? Um, number one, find out what your priorities are. Hmm. Uh, make sure that your future is better than your present. And to remember that all things can be done if God is in your side. Hmm. Beautiful. Love it. David Mancilla, founder and CEO of ISU Corp. Thank you so very, very much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure being here. God bless you, man. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.